This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. In this episode, we're going to talk about Carnotaurus, and we have a review of Tammy and the T-Rex, sometimes also known as Tammy and the Teenaged T-Rex. Really? (laughs) Yes. I see conflicting reports on what the title is, but it's a very bad movie. We'll get into... And not a good bad movie. No, it's very bad. If you're wondering, we don't have any news today because we're currently driving all over Montana and Canada and stuff, doing some research and dinosaur exploring so we can bring new content to other episodes. So we have this special pre-recorded edition for you. So jumping into our review of Tammy and the T-Rex, just a little background. It was released on December 21st, 1994, which is actually more than a year after Jurassic Park, and it's also rated PG-13. It's pretty shocking that it was released after Jurassic Park. It seems like it was released a decade before Jurassic yeah, Park. At, at least, least. <laughs> at least a decade. And... At first, I thought it would be like a corny, simple, kind of fun movie like Sharknado or Snakes on a Plane, but it's really not like that at all. It's just generally awful. We were excited when we found the trailer after it resurfaced. I think it was posted as a memorial to Paul Walker on an anniversary of his death, and the trailer looked great. Recommend watching that trailer if you want to know. It probably has all of the moments that are at all entertaining in the entire movie. It stars Paul Walker, as Sabrina said, and also Denise Richards, who you might know from various other movies like Starship Troopers. And they're both pretty well-regarded actors, but, I mean, the writing and the directing and the whatever else goes Special into effects. a movie. Yeah, just so bad. It has a 3.3 out of 10 rating on IMDb, which is actually not as bad as I kind of expected. And we're now going to get into the plot. So this is the spoiler alert in case you feel like watching this movie. You shouldn't. Watch the trailer. Yeah. (laughs) You can find both on YouTube. Yes. But if you are going to watch the movie, you should skip ahead past this thorough review of how bad And kind of funny, sort of, it is. (laughs) So the movie starts out as a kind of high school drama. And Denise Richards is dating Paul Walker. 
but has an abusive ex-boyfriend that she has a restraining order against. So it's like, whoa, that's kind of intense for a comical movie about a teenage T-Rex. But <laughs> it starts out and they're kind of exchanging some threats, Paul Walker and her ex-boyfriend, including like weird racist and homophobic lines and just generally weird things that seem out of place yeah like you're expecting something more like mean girls kind of jokey fighting but they're like really aggressive and then they'll be like super corny and it's weird so then right after this they cut to a gymnasium with an animatronic t-rex being operated remotely by some teenager who made it maybe it's not really clear but it's like a 13 year old boy who's operating this giant t-rex oh is that I thought it was a doctor who made it. Yes, it's pretty unclear because there's this doctor guy yelling commands at the kid for the kid to do the things, but you don't really know who made it or where it came from. But in any event, the kid knows how to control it. The doctor guy doesn't. And then after showing off for a while, the doctor's all sad that the dinosaur has to be hooked up to a computer since it's animatronic and he wishes that it had a brain, basically. So then we go back to Paul Walker and we have Denise Richards in Denise Richards room. And he had to do that thing where he like sneaks up into her bedroom because they're teenagers and her parents are home. And then the gang, including the ex-boyfriend, show up and they just like burst through the front door, like knock the parents aside. And they're like chasing after Paul Walker and eventually they get him and they drive him out into an animal park, which apparently is only filled with giant wild cats. They, like, have all this B-reel of jaguars and bobcats and lions and stuff roaming around at night. And then a lion attacks him. Only his arm. It's like a very cheesy, obvious stunt double with a totally different hair and everything. And it's just biting his arm. But anyway, that apparently hospitalizes him. There's no damage to his arm, but he has, like, a bandage on his head or something. You know, it's, it's just terrible. And the doctor guy shows up with his teenaged assistant and like weird scantily clad assistant woman and they just sneak him out of the hospital they just kind of take him well they declare he's dead to his family and to denise richards yeah and then while they're grieving they just kind of sneak him out and they put him on a gurney because he's unconscious and then he wakes up and he says, I have the craziest dream and you were in it. And then the doctor or somebody punches him back so he's unconscious again. I think they inject him and then they inject him or something. They they go through multiple There was definitely a punch him. first. Yeah. So that was pretty weird. One strange thing too, the doctor like goes into the hospital and he goes to like the reception desk and he's like, I'm a doctor. And they're like, okay, I guess you're taking care of that patient now. And then he goes and he says, oh, he's dead. And nobody worries about it or anything. They're he's like, wearing okay. a white lab coat, so yeah. he must be the authority. He must be. So they take him and they bring him back to this high school gymnasium where they have the animatronic T-Rex. And they just kind of pull out Paul Walker's brain and put it in the T-Rex. And then, poof, you've got a sentient T-Rex robot because Paul Walker is now controlling it, with the brain that's inside it. Yep. They just had to put a couple wires into it, and magically, the brain controls the robot. <laughs> so, <laughs> now you've got Paul Walker as a giant animatronic T-Rex. All he has to do to escape is squish the supposed black belt, who's also a bodybuilder guy, 
and it like flattens him so it's just clothes. I don't think his head was even there after he got flattened. It was just like he's totally flat. It's just like clothes laying on the floor. Anyway. And she just rolls it up. Yeah. Later on, somebody comes to clean up and just kind of rolls up this pile of clothes. But after he squishes this person, there's giant doors in the gymnasium that he can just walk out of. So he does. And then there's an old lady on a phone and she's like, oh, there's a dinosaur. And she leaves the phone and he goes up and he dials it without hanging up or anything. I guess she was talking to a dial tone, not yet dialing the number. Anyway, he dials the phone number and he's he calls up his girlfriend and he's like, hey, I'm a dinosaur, except that he can't talk. So he's just like, yeah, and she doesn't know what is going on. So he's like, "Okay, well, I obviously I have to go to that house. So he starts walking. And on the way, of course, he encounters all his old enemies, basically, and he proceeds to step on them mostly and occasionally bite or slash with his arms, his tiny T-Rex arms at them. Perfectly normal, I guess. I guess. Angry teenage boy in a T-Rex body. (laughs) Some of them are people that wronged him, other people we haven't really seen before. But What was the other weird thing? When there's fight scenes, it would cut to... Yeah, so they never really show... Like Jurassic Park, when somebody gets attacked by a dinosaur, you see the dinosaur attack them. In this, you see his perspective of the person being scared, and then you'll see like just a shot of a foot moving, and then you'll see like the person flattened kind of thing. Like You rarely actually see them touch. <laughs> So the whole time you're watching it, you're like, oh, I guess that person just got squished or something. I don't really know what happened. <laughs> it's a pretty janky way of shooting it. Probably just very low budget. I think they did make sure the T-Rex only had two fingers. Yeah. That's and he had something. those three toes. His tail was off the ground, so he's kind of walking like a T-Rex yeah. probably did a little bit. Although it was a little bit like really stiff-legged. You know, where it's kind of like teetering back and forth, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're making a little toy, which is probably what they were doing. So after doing this little rampage, he makes his way to Denise Richards' house, and she figures out that he's Paul Walker inside a T-Rex by doing a little bit of charades. And so they decide, oh, we need to find you a new body because we can just take your brain out and put it in some random dead guy. And then you'll have a new body. That's how things work now. Like a super common brain transplant. So they go to like a couple morgues and Paul Walker's like, nah, I don't want any of those bodies. I'm just going to stay in this T-Rex instead. So then they go and they decide, well, we'll just go hang out in this barn for a while while we figure out what to do. And then the cops show up and then they basically shoot the animatronic dinosaur to death, but not in the brain, I guess. Because then apparently Denise Richards takes out the brain and puts it in a bowl in her room. Well, not before she rides the T-Rex off into the sunset. That was was where they got to the barn. Oh, that was okay. Yeah. She had to ride him to get to the barn. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know whose barn it is either, but anyway, apparently it's not important. Random barn. Why not? So Denise Richards takes out the brain, puts it in a bowl in her room, hooks it up to a camera And then the scene that they show, she goes in and she pours alcohol on the brain so that I guess he gets a buzz or something. And then she does a strip tease for it. And then the brain starts shooting out sparks. And then that's the end of the movie. 
and there's a lot of oh baby oh baby yeah it's a very strange scene to end on <laughs> yeah and you don't know like did he just die at the end like he got overwhelmed and sparks and now he's dead no because or... they implied that they've done this before oh yeah they did make it seem like it was their routine yeah it was weird super weird and it might have been a good movie if it wasn't so just offensive it was like it would be offensive to just about anybody mm-hmm. who watched it because it's like homophobic and it's racist and it's just so bad. It's just like poorly written. It doesn't even have like shock value. It's just kind of like eye rolling garbage. So there were a couple maybe good things about this movie, though. For one, the T-Rex didn't make very many sounds. And I just give credit to any movie that doesn't copy exactly Jurassic Park's roar that like whale combined with whatever other animals it seems like everybody universally uses for T-Rex now. They didn't copy anything in Jurassic Park. They did not, (laughs) which I give them a little bit of credit for. Most of the noises that the T-Rex makes are just kind of like low growls and stuff, which is probably also inaccurate, but at least it's not exactly the same as Jurassic Park. The other thing that's possibly worth watching it for is seeing Paul Walker and Denise Richards so young and, you know, starting their careers is kind of fun. You're like, wow, look how young they are. Yeah, I think we looked them up. They're around 20, 21 years old. Yeah, they're very, very young. I think it was pretty much both of their first feature length movies. But man, it's a rocky start. (laughs) (laughs) Because you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So don't watch this movie. You should watch the trailer because it's kind of funny. It's got enough sort of funny bits to make a trailer. In the movie, any route you thought they might go where it would be kind of funny or clever, they never went that way. They would always take a turn towards something crude or just otherwise Yeah, it lazy. had potential Yeah, based on the trailer. Yeah. I think most people could do a better job with it, but they just kind of went this lazy and least common denominator crude way that just makes for a terrible movie. Yeah, and not an enjoyable terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of trouble trying to finish it. Yeah, we thought about stuff. And it was only like an hour and 20 minutes or something. But yeah. Still. But then we thought, no, we want to give it a fair chance. Maybe it gets better. doesn't yeah. get better. It does not. So now next on our watch list is Theodore Rex. And we're kind of excited to see how badly it compares to this movie, Taming the T-Rex. I think it'll be better, but... It's hard to say. Yeah. It's got similar ratings. That's true. The they cover are pretty similar. is very cheesy. That one's Whoopi Goldberg and a dinosaur that looks a fair amount like the dinosaur from the Brian Henson TV show. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. 
And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Carnotaurus, which was a request from Cole via Patreon. So thanks, Cole. The name means meat-eating bull, and this is due to its bull-like horns. And it was a large theropod that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now South America. The type species is Carnotaurus sastri. And the species name is in honor of Angel Sastra, the owner of the ranch where the skeleton was found. And the skeleton was found on a ranch named Pocho Sastra. The skeleton was found in 1984. Jose Bonaparte found Carnotaurus as part of one of the expeditions in the project Jurassic and Cretaceous Terrestrial Vertebrates of South America, which was sponsored by the National Geographic Society that started it in 1976. The skeleton they found was of an adult, and the skull and muzzle were crushed in fossilization. It took a long time to prepare the skeleton since it's in very hard rock, hematite. And Jose Bonaparte wrote a note naming Carnotaurus in 1985 describing the skull, and a more complete description was written in 1990. Carnotaurus is part of Abelosauridae, which is a group of large theropods, and its closest relatives are probably either Acosaurus or Majungasaurus. Other animals found near Carnotaurus include turtles, snakes, crocodiles, and mammals. And Carnotaurus was bipedal. It was about 26 to 30 feet, or 8 to 9 meters long, and it weighed about 1.3 to 2.1 tons. It had small forelimbs and long, slender hind limbs, and its forelimbs were proportionately shorter than other carnivores, even T-Rex. So its forearm was a quarter the size of the upper arm. Its hand had four digits, but only the two middle fingers had finger bones, so its fingers were fused and immobile and probably didn't have claws. And the fourth digit was a split-like metacarpal that may have been some sort of spur. A study in 2009 found that abelosaurids had vestigial arms. They had reduced nerve fibers, like in modern emus and kiwis, which have vestigial forelimbs. If Carnotaurus kept evolving, its descendants may have lost its arms. That would have been kind of funny. <laughs> it had Like a giant kiwi. Yes, but with teeth. Yeah. Carnotaurus had thick horns above its eyes, which is not seen on other carnivores, so it's very specialized in the horns and neck. It had a deep skull and muscular neck, 
and it had a straight neck instead of an S-curved neck like other theropods, and the neck was wide towards the base. It's possible that Carnotaurus used its head like a hatchet with its thick, long neck, and then its teeth would strike the prey multiple times in order to take it down. Yeah, they talk about Allosaurus possibly doing that too. Can you imagine if it had short arms? Trying to mm-hmm. whack at it with Almost its no arms, yeah. Just it's a balancing act for sure. That is. <laughs> Carnotaurus may have fought using its horns and neck and either by pushing their skulls together or ramming their heads and using their horns as shock absorbers. The bone horns on the brow were 5.9 inches or 15 centimeters long and probably longer in life because it probably had keratin. Keratin sheath. Yes. And these horns may have been used for fighting or display or for killing prey. The horns may have protected its eyes in fights or been used in fights the way rams use horns. In 1998, Gerardo Mazetta and his team found that Carnotaurus's neck was strong enough to absorb the force of two Carnotaurus's butting heads at a speed of 5.7 meters per second each. That's pretty good. Yeah. And he also said that the horns could have hurt or killed small prey, which makes sense. That would be an even crazier way to try to hunt mm-hmm. with only two legs and no real arms. Run something small close to the ground with the top of your head. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Just like a bull, huh? Kind of, except they have four legs so they could actually get their head low without falling over. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so some studies found that instead of head blows, Carnotaurus's may have pushed slowly against each other with their skulls, so then the horns would help prevent brain damage. And the horns were flat on the upper side and top of the skull, and they had strongly fused bones. In 2009, Fernando Nova said that the short skull may have helped Carnotaurus move its head more quickly, and the strong neck and rigidity and strength of their spinal columns could help when butting heads. The skull they found is 23.5 inches, or 59.6 centimeters long, and proportionally short and deep. It had a broad snout, and nasal bones had small holes and spikes. And it had small eyes and some degree of binocular vision. Its eyes were set facing slightly forwards. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of interesting things going on with Carnotaurus. They may have been able to hunt sauropods, though some scientists think that they went after small animals. They could bite quickly, but they didn't have a strong bite, which is also a sign for maybe it went after small prey. And they had long, slender teeth with a shallow, weak lower jaw. So its skull and lower jaw was flexible like modern snakes, and Carnotaurus could swallow small animals whole, and its teeth were pointed upwards to keep the animal from escaping its jaws. But it may have also been able to hunt large dinosaurs since its skull could withstand the force of biting larger prey. As long as it's using its upper row of teeth to smash down rather than trying to bite with the lower jaw, it sounds like. Yeah, the hatchet effect, right? Yep. In 2005, Francois Therrien and colleagues found that Carnotaurus had a bite force two times a modern American alligator and was similar to Komodo dragons, which have jaws that are better for slashing and weakening large prey. So maybe Carnotaurus ambushed and killed large animals. And then in 1998, Robert Barker also said that Carnotaurus probably ate sauropods since it's got a short snout and small teeth and strong back of the skull. And Carnotaurus was a good runner. It could sprint, though it probably wasn't quite as fast as ornithomimids. But Person and Curry published a study in 2011 where they studied 50 species of carnivorous dinosaurs, all different sizes, and found that Carnotaurus was the ninth fastest dinosaur based on muscles in the tail. It's unclear exactly how fast Carnotaurus could have run, but it probably was fast because it had caudal ribs in a V-shape in the tail vertebrae, which meant it had room to have a larger 
cardiofemoralis muscle than other theropods. And this is the most important muscle for locomotion. And in Carnotaurus, it may have weighed up to 300 pounds or 140 kilograms. However, other muscles that help with tail movement and stability, the longissimus and spinalis muscle, were smaller, which meant that it would have had a hard time making tight turns because the hip and tail had to turn at the same time, unlike other theropods. Yeah, we talked about the caudofemoralis a couple episodes ago and how when an animal that has that muscle and a long tail swings its tail to one side, it helps to lift the leg. And then when it swings back, it can lift the other leg. So in that way, you swing your tail back and forth and it helps lift the legs so you can run more effectively. So they think that the bigger the tail, the stronger those muscles, then the more assisting it would give the animal in running. And then also with some other details like the attachment points of the muscle to the femur, then you get to find out, oh, it was set up for long distance running, but not particularly fast or it was set up for sprinting. So sounds like this guy, like most predators, were set up for sprinting at pretty high speeds. But not turns. So Carnotaurus fossils had skin impressions that showed a mosaic of polygonal small scales, 5 millimeters in diameter, with large bumps on the sides of Carnotaurus, but it probably didn't have feathers. The skin impressions were found on the lower jaw, front of the neck, shoulder, and rib cage, and tail. And there were patches of skin impressions on the right side of the skull too, but it wasn't clear what they were when the skull was prepared, so they were accidentally destroyed. Though scientists still found that the pattern on the left and right sides of the skull were different. I'm always amazed at how many skin impressions are found, because when I imagine excavating a fossil, it seems like how would you know that this rock that's next to the fossil is a skin impression, or it's just a piece of rock that's next to the fossil? And do you know before you even know there's a fossil there, because if you're just digging down? Yeah, I have no idea. It's pretty impressive that they ever managed to get those things, in my opinion. It is. So Carnotaurus had a different pattern on its head compared to the body, and it had large knob-like bumps on either side of the neck, back, and tail in irregular rows. And the bumps were larger towards the top of Carnotaurus. They were probably clusters of scutes as seen on hadrosaurids, and they may have helped protect its sides when fighting either other Carnotauruses or other theropods. This is similar to what iguanas have, which helps protect them in fights. Again, there's no evidence of feathers, and if you'd like, you can see the holotype of Carnotaurus on display at the Argentine Museum of Natural Sciences. And you can also see a life-size sculpture at the Natural History Museum in L.A. And this was made by Stephen and Sylvia Cherkas. And the museum ordered it in the mid-1980s. And it's one of the first theropod replicas to show skin accurately. That's cool. I can't believe we haven't been to that museum yet. Yeah. That's how often we're in or around L.A. <laughs> Carnotaurus is also mentioned in The Lost World by Michael Crichton. There's Carnotauruses that can camouflage, and then the characters scare them away with flashlights. Oh, it's like Indominus Rex. Yeah. It's got cuttlefish DNA. Oh, no. <laughs> so again, Carnotaurus is part of the family Abelosauridae, and that name means Abel's lizards. It's a clad of ceratosaurian theropods that lived in the Jurassic and Cretaceous in Gondwana, in Africa, South America, India, and Madagascar. And Jose Bonaparte and Fernando Noves named Abelosauridae in 1985 when they described Abelosaurus, which was named after Roberto Abel, who discovered it. Abelosaurids are bipedal and carnivorous. They had short hind limbs and ornamentation on the skull bones. The skulls were generally tall and shallow, and they had four digits on the hand. And they're also part of the group Ceratosaurus. And this group, at least a few of them, Limosaurus and Ceratosaurus, had short arms, and they lived in the Jurassic. Very cool. 
And our fun fact of the day is that almost 200 birds, it's not that fun actually, it's a little depressing, but almost 200 birds have been driven to extinction since the year 1500. Some were driven to extinction by humans hunting, like the dodo or moa and elephant bird, but even more have gone extinct due to species that are introduced by humans. According to birdlife.org, quote, in the last 500 years, species like Rats, cats, and mice have driven more than 70 bird species to extinction. They remain one of the greatest threats to our natural world, end quote. Well, I know in our neighborhood, there's not really any birds because we have so many cats. Yeah, cats kill more birds than like anything else. It's crazy how many millions of birds they kill. Therefore, after the Chicxulub impactor, the greatest threat to dinosaurs is probably humans and our introduction of invasive species to new habitats. So... What made the dinosaurs go extinct? Maybe humans. Time will tell. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. (laughs) It's just science. Cautionary science. I guess. (laughs) And on that note, that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.